This Advent season, we have looked at hope in Jesus Christ. We have looked at the love of God shown to us through Jesus. The joy that we experience when we receive Jesus. And now we look at the peace that comes from knowing and following Him. We're going to conclude a study in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Uh, with a big healthy chunk, 57 through 80. And, and what we're seeing, though, is that we're coming to the end of a, a bookend, if you will. Uh, chapter 1 begins with Zechariah, and it ends with Zechariah. In the middle, you have Mary being told about Jesus coming from the angel, and then you have Mary and Elizabeth celebrating the fact that Jesus is there in, in Mary. And, and so everything is focusing in on, on the middle, which is that time when the angel has departed Mary and she gets up and runs to see Elizabeth. And then she shows up at Elizabeth's house. And the baby, as we saw last week, jumps with joy within her because Mary has come in and greeted them. And John, as a, as a baby in the womb, recognizes the presence of of the Messiah through the Holy Spirit and gives utterance to Elizabeth through the power of the Holy Spirit as well, that she prophecies about him. And we saw last week that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. And so now what we are coming to is a conclusion of the story that began in the first week. Remember that uh, the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias and said, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him John, and if we remember, Zechariah's question was, how can I know that for sure? How can I know that this is going to happen? And so the angel Gabriel gave him a sign, and it's kind of dangerous to ask for a sign, and the sign that the angel Gabriel gave Zacharias was, you're going to be mute until these things happen. And Zacharias came out and he could not speak. And everybody knew he had seen a vision. And something we're going to see as we go through today's passage is it's amazing how many people knew something was going on. And yet, they never put the pieces together when Jesus is born. And we're going to see the same thing here. They, they knew that Zacharias had seen a vision. I wonder if anybody asked him to write it down or not. What did you see? They asked him. But we're going to see similar things happening now as we conclude that story with the birth of John. So join with me here in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. We are told, uh, and and so, you know, it would have been six months when the angel came to, to Mary. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, so it's about nine months. That's roughly... Uh, how long you will carry a child. I know it's a few more weeks than just that. But in verse 57 we read, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. So everybody's celebrating. Everybody knows that she was pregnant. Everybody knows that she was pregnant in old age and that she had been barren all her life. And now she has a son and they're all rejoicing with her. And they view it as God showing his great mercy toward her. 
Verse 59 tells us it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. This is what was prescribed in the Mosaic Law. This is what was told to them in the covenant made with Abraham when God made his covenant of circumcision with Abraham. On the eighth day, you're going to circumcise every male child. And so they're going to circumcise him, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father because he can't talk. So they're all, they're all busy bodies, and they're moving along, and they're just going to name him Zacharias because that makes sense to them. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. So obviously, there had been some communication from Zacharias with Elizabeth, and she knew what his name was. She, uh, she got the information of what the angel had told him. You will call his name John. And so she says, No, he shall be called John. And don't you love this? I mean, this is just beyond me in our American society. Although maybe a, a good mother-in-law might do this play. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. She says, no indeed, his name shall be John. And they say, eh, we're going to get a second opinion on that. We don't, we don't know that you know what you're talking about, Elizabeth. And, and it's, out of, it's out of our custom. The custom was that you would name a child a, a family name. And so Zacharias makes sense because that's his dad's name. Or at least, if not that, somebody in your family. But you don't have anybody in your family named John. We'll ask, we'll ask the mute guy about it. You know, here, here is Elizabeth speaking to them in their language, audibly telling them, no, we're going to ask the guy that can't speak, that we didn't bother asking in the first place. So they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. Not we're going to call him John. No, because remember, the angel Gabriel named him before he had ever been conceived. His name is John. There is no deciding about it. There is just accepting and agreeing and obeying. It's already been declared. His name is John. You know, we went from, Mar uh, from Elizabeth saying he shall be called John to his name is John. And they were all astonished. You know, they're, they're, just think, what, is it, what does that mean that they're astonished at this? They're astonished that Zacharias would say, no, his name is John. Why should they be astonished at that? Probably because Zacharias isn't the guy to go against custom. He's not the kind of guy to go against tradition. He's not the guy to go against what everybody else thinks he should be doing. And yet here, there's so much going on. You've had a, an elderly couple who, who were barren and couldn't have kids when they were young. Now they're old and having a son. You've got a man who was working in the temple, saw a vision and came out mute. And now he is sticking to his guns. No, his name is John. They can't quite grasp everything that's going on. They are astonished. And not only that, if they thought they were astonished, then just wait, because in 64, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, 
And he began to speak in praise of God. The very first things he says. Notice he didn't say his name is John. He wrote that. He was still mute. He had to, he had to write it out. But as soon as he had done that, his tongue is loosed and his mouth is open and he's able to speak. And what's the first thing he says? It's praise to God. And, and I'm sure you've probably been in a situation like that where uh, whether it was when you came to faith and you accepted and believed in Jesus Christ and you had the Holy Spirit come in you and you felt the life change of God in you and yet you're still, you're still a sinner. You've still got all these problems in your life and yet you feel that difference. You know that something has happened in your life and what do you do but just praise God for what has happened. And that's what he does. He praises God. And because of that, verse 65, fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. They are all wondering. They're all talking. They're all thinking to themselves, What is this child going to be? Who is he going to be? What, what great plans does God have for him that he would have such a miraculous birth and such amazing things going on? And, and there seems, one of the struggles I have with, with the Gospels isn't with the Gospels necessarily, but there definitely seems to be a disconnect between the birth narrative and the ministry of John and Jesus. Like I, 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 and, and maybe people knew and they just didn't get recorded in the Gospels, but you kind of expect people to say, hey, you know what, we should listen to that crazy guy out in the desert. His parents, his dad was a, a priest, and he came out of the temple serving God, and he was mute, and he'd seen a vision. And then they had the baby, even though they were so old. I mean, that reminds me of Abraham and Sarah. We should listen to him because God was working and doing amazing things. But you don't get that. In the ministry, you have angels telling, as, as we'll see tonight, you have angels telling shepherds to go and see a child, and the shepherds didn't keep it to themselves. They told people, and people were amazed. And yet, we don't read of other people showing up. Now, that might just be because it wasn't Luke's business to tell us about all the other people that maybe showed up, that wasn't his purpose. But there seems to be a disconnect in the fact that such amazing things are happening and yet people don't respond. But on the other hand, that still happens today. Amazing things happen. God changes people. God, God brings about transformation in our hearts and our lives and other people just keep going on in their business. They might even see it and they might even think, wow, that's great. They might even marvel at the changes going on in a person's life. And then they just keep going. And they miss it. They miss the, the coming of the Savior. What I, what I see in these, this first portion of the passage, 57 to 66, remember Zacharias doubted. He didn't just doubt. He questioned and wanted a sign. He didn't trust. He didn't have faith. He didn't believe. He wanted proof. He wanted a guarantee. And so he was made mute. Something has happened in, in nine months of not being able to talk that now he takes a stand 
He is God's man. He is going to say, no, his name is John. Because that's what the angel had told me. And, and what we, we see in him is now, is then his mouth opens up and he's praising God. I would say this is a moment of him coming to peace with God. That, that he, was, he was not at peace with God when he was serving in the temple and the angel came to him. He didn't accept the words and so he doubted and he fought the ideas that were being told him. And so he has lived for nine months with the pain of that doubt by being mute. And now, now that he has agreed with God on, on the name of the Son, now that he has seen it all happen, he says, no, his name is John. And he is now, in essence, at peace with God. He may not be at peace with all the people around him who think, this is crazy, nobody's ever been named John in your family. But he is now at peace with God because he is now in agreement with God. And, and I, I see the, the same is true in our lives, that uh, if we want peace in our lives, peace comes when we are in agreement with God. Because God is the creator of the universe. God is the creator of our lives. God is the one who has given us to the families that we are in. He has given us the, the genetics that we have. He has placed us in the world in a time and we can either obey Him or fight Him. There are really no other options. Because if you're not obeying God, you're fighting God. And if you're not in obedience to the Lord, you're not at peace with the Lord. And the only way to have peace is to be in agreement with Him. So, and by agreement, I, I mean all not just, oh, I, I mentally agree, although that's the beginning. It's, it's acknowledging and, and accepting the truth that He has given us. I, I see in this, uh, you know, we have the, the ABCs of salvation to admit that you're a sinner. That's, that's agreeing with God. God has declared us sinners. And when we admit we're sinners, we're just agreeing with God. It, it's not like you have to do some great thing and let God know about the bad things you've done. He's already known them. He sent His Son to die on the cross because of them. What we're doing when we admit that we're sinners, we're agreeing with God. I'm as bad as you say I am, God. I'm as sinful as you say I am. I've, I, am I am in this position that I am in. And, and we can't get to peace with God unless we do that. As long as we think I'm okay, as long as we say to others, oh, we're, we're, I'm basically good, we're in disagreement with God and we're in rebellion against God and we don't have peace. And being at peace with God may mean that we don't have so much peace with the people around us. But that's, that's the true peace, is being at peace with God. Uh, of walking with Him and serving Him. Peace comes when we are in agreement with Him. And, and, and when we admit that we're a sinner, that we, we are in rebellion against God. And so... Zacharias finally is in peace because he has agreed. His name is John. He has accepted God's word. He has believed. He has opened up his mouth and he began to speak in praise. And in verse 67, we actually start to get the words that Zacharias said. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and again, 
being filled with the Holy Spirit, whereas John was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, whereas we are filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that we accept Jesus Christ and are reborn. Zacharias didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on him for a portion of time and then would leave him again. Just as when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to to heal and to proclaim uh, the kingdom, he gave them power for a period of time. But later on, they got the Holy Spirit permanently at Pentecost. So he's only got it for a little bit of time, but while he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies. So this isn't just his good feelings. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through him, inspiring his thoughts towards God. He says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Past tense. Notice the past tense. Even though Jesus hasn't been born yet, even though Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet, God has already done this. He has visited us. He has accomplished redemption for his people. He has, in verse 69, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. His first thoughts are not about John. His first thoughts, as he is prophesying, as he is praising God at the birth and the circumcision and the naming of his son, he is not talking about John. He's talking about Jesus. His eyes are on the Messiah, the one who is the horn of salvation in the house of David, his servant. He tells us in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He's saying God has provided for us in this time uh, the salvation that we might be rescued from our enemies so that we might serve him without fear, that we might serve Him in holiness and righteousness all our days. God is providing us the ability to worship Him and to serve Him. And He does it through salvation, by saving us from our sins and saving us from... Now, there's language that's very Old Testament, you know, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. That was... That was uh, a national worldview of of the nation of Israel, we know that we are saved from ourselves, from our sin. There is the devil, and he entices us to sin. But we also know that we are our own enemies. We are the ones who sin and hurt us. But this language of salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, that expands to every person in the world who is under the oppression of sin. But He has come that He might save us, that we might serve Him without fear. Notice that salvation uh, isn't just uh, salvation to, to be free or to not have our sins. 
that there is a focus on serving. That there is a focus on a right relationship to God. And our, our purpose as human beings is that we would serve the Lord. You know, when, when God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, it was that they would serve Him. That, that Adam would cultivate the garden and manage it. And that he would rule over the world on God's behalf. Under the lordship of God. Under obedience to God. But the, the purpose was that he would serve him and glorify God in how he lived. And unfortunately, Adam didn't glorify God in how he lived. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sinned. He disobeyed God. And ever since, we have all uh, lived in fear. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that we are, in the, we, are, we are living under the fear of death. But now... Through Jesus Christ, God has provided us salvation that we might serve Him without fear. And, and that's, that's a big portion of this idea of peace with God. It, it's not just that we're no longer in rebellion against Him, that we now uh, are in agreement with Him. But when we are now in agreement with Him, well, we take our rightful place with Him. And whereas in sin we want to serve ourselves, we're enslaved to our sin and to our flesh. Being set free from that, we are now free to serve God. And Zacharias' focus here in the beginning portion is on Jesus because the peace to serve God comes through Jesus. It, it's peace to serve. Notice it's even that His... Uh, it's it's Mercy towards us. Everybody felt that God had shown great mercy to Elizabeth now. And now he is talking about, Zacharias is talking about, uh, that God has provided for us salvation from our enemies to show mercy toward our fathers. To show mercy toward us. By fulfilling what he has proclaimed and promised to the Father. His focus, and, and as we look at this passage, we're, we're basically breaking it up into three. The first part is John is born, and Zacharias pronounces his name John. And so he is at peace with God. And the, the last section, we are going to get to what he says about John. But right here in the middle, the focus is on Jesus. And the very beginning of his prophecy is focused on Jesus and salvation. Zacharias recognizes and understands that John is not the one that brings salvation. That the great work that God is doing in his life and in his wife's life and through his son isn't the salvation. That the salvation is coming from another one. But John is at a place and Zacharias is at a place that they might serve him without fear. And that's the focus as we move into to, to the focus on John. Is John's purpose in life, as the angel told him in the very beginning of the chapter, that he would go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. John's life is a life of service to a cause greater than himself. And when his purpose is over to prepare the way, when Jesus shows up, his ministry takes a nosedive as Jesus' ministry takes off. And John's disciples say, look, everybody is going to that one that you baptized. And John says, this is the way it's supposed to be. He must increase I must decrease. 
And eventually John dies by being beheaded by Herod. A violent death that he had no control over. He didn't have a a say in when it happened. He had much to live for, and it was cut short. But his purpose was over. And even though it was a violent end, he was at peace with the Lord, maybe not with the world around him, but with the Lord. And, and Zacharias' focus is his faith, his belief in the coming of the Messiah, that Messiah is here, that God is already doing this work in our lives. And as we think about the ABCs of salvation, you admit you're a sinner. The second one is that you believe that Jesus died and rose again, providing us the salvation. We, we believe it. And Zacharias is proclaiming his faith, his belief, and the salvation to come. And then the next part in verse 76 is what exactly his child is going to do. This whole prophecy, it's almost like what we have just read is just the preamble. Because the next thing is, and you, child. Now he's talking about his son. Now you can almost picture this elderly man holding the infant. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way. He's in agreement with the, the angel. He's saying what the angel had told him. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation. He does not give salvation, he cannot, but he is there to give the people the knowledge of salvation, to give God's people the knowledge of salvation, by the forgiveness of their sins. So even right there, there's a focus on the need to be forgiven of their sins. The Pharisees later on with Jesus, they didn't quite grasp that. They thought they were pretty good stuff. They, they even said, you know, are you talking to us? Do we need to be saved? We're not sinners. And he said, you know, you're blind, so you can't see it. If you could see, you would be guilty of it. But the focus right here from Zacharias is what we need is the forgiveness of our sins. And then he says in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God, of our God, the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So even right there at the very end, there's a focus on peace. Where does, where does real peace come from? Where do we get peace? From God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, of whom John is speaking and going to go before. That He might give people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. That He might be able to proclaim to them the tender mercy of God who, who shines in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, to give us a light that we might walk out of the shadow of darkness and the shadow of death. That we might walk into the way of peace. That's what he is proclaiming that John will do. And then verse 80 concludes the chapter, and the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. To Israel. So there's a, 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 an, 
an image that he has separated, not just in, in his diet, not just by having the Holy Spirit on, but he is even separated in the sense that he goes off and he lives in the deserts until his public appearance. He doesn't grow up with everybody else. He doesn't live among the people. But he is, he is taken away until the time of his public appearance. And what is his public appearance? His focus is make ready the way for the Lord. Make the paths straight. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a call to repentance to the people. And, and, and John's purpose, as Zacharias proclaims, you know, he's sitting here, it's his son's uh, name day. They're naming him and he's praising God for him, but the focus is beginning with Jesus, the Messiah. And it's only in relation to Jesus that John's life, I hate to say it, has purpose. But it's true. His purpose is wrapped up in the Messiah. He is the one who is to go before him. He is the one to serve and proclaim the way uh, and the knowledge of salvation. He can't give it. He can just tell you how to get it. His whole purpose for being born was so that he would be a sign. That he would do this job. His purpose is wrapped up in the Messiah. I think to a certain extent, our purpose for life truly should be wrapped up in the Messiah. Our purpose, our value, our reason for existing is God. He, he's the one that created us. He's the one that chose to make us. He's the one that has given us life here and now. And, and for what purpose? That we might praise Him and glorify Him forever. That is, that is our purpose, that we might glorify Him in our lives, that we might serve Him in our lives, that we might live for Him. And that doesn't mean we all just sit around and singing Kumbaya. No, that means in our daily lives, in our work, in our home life, in our treatment of the people around us, how do we glorify God? How do we proclaim His salvation to the world? Because John's, John's work, his job is, is our work. Our job. Jesus told the disciples uh, before he left, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go and make disciples. Teach them, give them the knowledge of salvation. Give them the knowledge of salvation. Show them the light that is Jesus, so that they might walk in the way of peace. That is our purpose, to live and to share with others. And, and, and just as we had, you, know, you admit and you believe, the third ABC is confess, that you confess Jesus is Lord. And, and, and that comes from Romans where we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. That it's not enough to admit that we are sinners. It's not enough to believe that God came, but that we must proclaim Him. That we must confess Him. And we have the opportunity not just to confess Him for salvation, but to confess Him in life. If you have peace in a difficult time and somebody wonders about 
Why are you at peace? Do you confess Jesus? Do you tell them, it's because I have a Messiah who has saved me, who gives me peace? That I have a hope in God that is greater than all my trouble, and it enables me to be at peace? Do you confess Him? Do you share with those that you see they are in darkness and they are walking according to darkness and they are uh, uh, living in the fear of death? Do you share with them the knowledge of salvation? Do you confess Jesus? That is a work that we have as well. Just as John was to go before the Messiah to prepare the way for Him, we can, in essence, go before Him by sharing with other people our hope and who He is and their need to believe in Him. We can't give them salvation, but we can share with them the knowledge. And that is a big part of living at peace, that we strive with those that maybe are our enemies and that are not at peace with us. We strive to be at peace with them by sharing Jesus with them. And that's, that's our third point there, that we can share with others the knowledge of salvation. We can share with others that. And we don't have to have a special title. We don't have to have special skills. We don't have to have a special calling to do that. Every single one of us. If we have accepted and agreed with God, if we have the peace to serve God through the Messiah, Jesus, then we are completely capable to share with others the knowledge of salvation. Because it really is simple. Jesus. Jesus is the answer to our sin. He is answer to the struggles and the, the, the violence of the world. Faith in Him. Peace with God the Father through Him leads us to be at peace even with those that are not at peace with us. Paul told the, the, the believers that in, in Rome, as, as much as it is possible, as much as it depends upon you to be at peace with all men. And the, and the more we focus on the Lord, the more we are able to be at peace with all people. Now, if I'm focused on how fast I want to get home, if I'm focused on how smart I am as a driver and how uh, moronic everybody else is around me, I, then there, no, I don't have that peace. And nobody in the car with me has that peace. But if I'm focused on these people around me are God's creatures made in His image and He has died on the cross for their salvation and I need to be patient with them, then yes, there is peace. If I focus on Him, if I keep my eye on Him, if, if I keep my eye and my focus and my, the apple of my eye on Him, but if I start focusing on myself, if I start focusing on my own desires, the peace goes away. But we can share with others in how we live, in the words we say, we can share with others the knowledge of salvation. We can be at peace with them even if they are not at peace with us. We can be at peace because we know the Messiah. And isn't it great that Zacharias finally is at peace with God? And his son is set on the path to serve God 
as he has been called to. And each one of us, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have received the Holy Spirit because of that faith, you are at peace with God. And you are given the ability and the opportunity to share with others the knowledge of that salvation too. Will you serve Him today? Will you serve Him in this coming year to be a light by how you live? To try and strive to live at peace in this world that seeks... And we're talking about an election year coming up. It's a tall order. Are you prepared to be at peace with all people? Maybe they don't like you. Maybe they think you're deplorable. Maybe they think you're MAGA scum. Are you really to be at peace with them? Because God is the source of salvation? Because He is the giver of peace? Are you ready to share what you know? And to share the light of Christ in your life? Tall order in the coming year. We can't do it but with the grace of God. So let's seek Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray, Lord, that You would shine Your light on our hearts today. We thank You, Father, for the peace that we can have through Jesus Christ. The peace that we have with You when we accept our sinful nature and agree with You about it and ask Your forgiveness and Your healing through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to be at peace, not just with You, but with the world around us, that we would be sources of peace, that we would be peculiar in the way we live because we are so much more like You than the world. And we pray, Lord, that we would share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we would share with others the knowledge of salvation, that we would serve You and serve those around us because of the peace You have given us through Your Son. God, put it on our hearts, those areas that we need Your help. Maybe there are some things we've got to let go of because they are not a source of peace in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would seek to know and to make known your great mercy in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.